This is the Santita Jackson Show. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show and to Facebook and to YouTube, the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and the Santita Jackson and Friends Facebook page. Please go to the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and let everybody know we're back. Thank you, Jim Addy, for making everything happen yesterday and you, Mark Pinsky and Matt Cummings. And I've um, got some exciting news I'm going to share with you in a few days about... Uh, being able to go up on a few more stations, which is really great, great stuff. So, everybody, let's talk about the black church. The black church, which is the greatest organizing, really, it's the biggest organization of black people in in America. And it's the greatest organizing mechanism. Dr. King did his work through the church. Reverend Jesse Jackson's done his work through the church. The most successful, uh, really, the, the people who really changed uh, how black people and how America is came through the black church. Uh, they are known, these black preachers are known as the freest, richest black men, typically, in America. Black folks pay you, black people take care of you, and you speak for them in an unfiltered voice. That's been changing of late. Reverend Stephen Thurston is going to tell us about that because we've had an infiltration, but not that much of an infiltration so that 1,000 pastors all across the country, black pastors, have called for President Biden to have a ceasefire. And what they have also done, Pastor Stephen Thurston, as you well know from this New York Times article, they said, if you don't call for a ceasefire, we will not support you. I think, Reverend Thurston, I think that's the pushback, right? (laughs) A large voting block. That's right. I mean, seniors vote, the children vote, the yeah. Reverend Jackson's historic campaigns came out of the church, the church, mm-hmm. the church, the church, the church. And um, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King came out of the church. That does not diminish anybody else's contribution, but that's where we are. So we got to talk about that. And... Um, I want to hear what your thoughts are. I want to hear what your thoughts are. And then, of course, John Nichols will be with us to talk about Nancy Pelosi, Reverend Thurston, saying that, hey, if you're calling for a ceasefire, you're giving us Putin's message. Hey, you're, you are speaking for the Russians. Huh? Okay. Yeah. Sounds very um, J. Edgar Hoover-ish. Yeah, I said it. Now I have more to it before I take anything away from it. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. You know, if I want freedom, I got to be a communist. Which is not even what they are anymore. Goodness gracious. If, if, I, if I want desegregation, I've got to be aligned with Russia. But if I want to be a slave, I'm a capitalist. Think about that, everybody. Hey, girl, Paula, how you doing, Don, Donnie D? Hey, everybody. So let's get right to these headlines so we can get to the rest of the show. Everybody, the U.S. mixed up enemy and friendly drones in an attack that killed three troops. American forces failed to intercept a drone attack on a U.S. base in Jordan on Sunday amid confusion about the aircraft's identity. Wow. President Biden blamed Iraq-backed militias and is facing pressure to attack Iran. How is he going to blame them after they made the mistake? Reverend Thurston? Oh, okay. Maybe it's just me. Did I? 
An ex-IRS contractor who leaked Donald Trump's tax returns was sentenced. Charles Littlejohn leaked a slew of confidential tax records in 2019 and 2020. It led to reports showing how the richest Americans for years paid little or no federal taxes with the federal government's help, because that is law, everybody. Five years in prison is what he is receiving. He received the maximum punishment because he targeted a sitting president. And thousands of others, according to the judge. Texas requested transgender youth's medical records from Georgia. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton requested a clinic's records late last year, dating back to January of 2022. Texas banned gender-affirming care for minors last year. We've got to talk about that, everybody. Elon Musk said his company, Neuralink, implanted a brain chip at a human being. The patient, the first human to receive a Neuralink chip, Underwent the procedure Sunday and is recovering well. The chips could eventually allow people with disabilities to use smartphones or computers with their thoughts. But some experts have safety and ethical concerns. New rules would make gas and electric stoves more efficient. But you know, if you're building a new place in New York, guess what? Guess what? They're not using gas. Past to Thurston, they're using electricity. In Chicago, we'll have a high of 36 degrees a day. It will be cloudy. In Minneapolis, 40 degrees. It will be cloudy. In the NBA, the Bulls will be facing off against the Raptors and the Timberwolves 107, the Thunder 101, and we are getting ready for the Super Bowl. Are you going to go this year, Pastor Stephen Thurston? I'll be sitting at home this year. I'm going to take this yeah. one off. Okay, I was about to say, because now you know, I remember when I bumped into Reverend Johnny Coleman's husband. <laughs> I said we because it's just it's an event that many people go to and it becomes its own thing. My father used to go every single year, year. and then he started. He used to take me, but then he started taking his grandsons. But they, but you know, but seriously, they they would have a great guys weekend. I think that's important for them to do. They have those memories. and plus, it was not that fun to me. It was just one party after another. I was like, honey, let me go to my room and read a book. Pastor Stephen Thurston, <laughs> New Covenant Missionary Baptist Church. It just got on my nerves. I'm like, you know, you know how I am, Pastor Thurston. I'm like, uh, this is, it's just, you just give me some more hors d'oeuvres that everybody's breathing over. I'm like, what? <laughs> yes, ma'am. We need to go recharge alone. <laughs> That's what these cancers have to do. Pastor Stephen Thurston, how you doing? Hey, how you feeling this morning? I'm doing all right. A little throat issue, but we're going to press through. We're going to make it. All going to be well. Press on through. You're going to get that vitamin C and that 300 milligrams of zinc. Oh, yes. That's it. That's it. You're going to get that. Oh, yeah. And that immunity. Get back to 100%. Yes. Oh, yeah, you will. You will. Mm-hmm. So what's what's on your well? First of all, how can we worship with you? I'm so proud of you. The church is is just continuing to be robust and it is growing. And of course, Facebook Live every three o'clock Central Standard Time on Fridays. On Fridays, yes. Yeah. That's right. It's your free therapy, everybody. Therapy. Exactly. Therapy. <laughs> that free therapy. moment, that mirror moment to help us to change what's within so that we can change what's around. But if you want to have worship with us, hear me preach. Sundays, we're live in person at 77th and Cottage Grove in Chicago on the south side. Worship starts at 9. We're done about 10, 15, 10, 20. So you can get in, get out, enjoy the balance of your day. But you can also catch us on all of our streaming platforms, uh, Facebook, YouTube. Our website is The Cove. 
T-H-E-C-O-V, the CubsChicago.org. Go over there, click the link, tune into us. Go catch last Sunday's sermon. It was amazing. We had a guest. He was brilliant. And uh, we would love to have you worship with us. And enjoy all of the things that we're doing in the community. Santita, it's not just for members of the church. We want to make everything that we have available to anybody, Lottie Dottie and everybody. At the Cub, I love it. At the Cub, yes, ma'am. <laughs> What's on your mind today? We need some good news. Need it. Here it is. You'll never be ready, so stop waiting. That's the good news today. Hmm. Actor, comedian, and writer Hugh Laurie once said that it's a terrible thing, I think, in life to wait until you're ready. Throughout our childhood and early adult years, we're conditioned to think that we need to be ready to take the next big step in life. Our teachers won't let us get too far ahead of where we think of where they think that we should be in terms of knowledge. Our parents try to protect us from ideas and truths that they think we're not ready to learn about. And then we ourselves hold back when faced with major decisions that we don't believe we're ready to make. We're constantly told We'll understand certain things or be able to do certain things when we're older. Man, I was told that so many times. As if the passage of time alone is enough to teach us everything we need to know about life. Listen, friends, this way of thinking has a hugely negative impact on the way that we live our lives. For one thing, some of us feel we're ready to move forward in life by constantly being held back by social norms. Additionally, there are those of us who never take the first step towards our goals because despite being told by society that we're ready to do so, we don't believe that we truly are. Let me say it again. Everybody else thinks we are, but we've worked so hard to be held back that we don't believe that we're ready when we really are. And as we move through life, we discover that hindsight, of course, is twenty twenty, and that time is our greatest teacher. But here's the problem. If we wait for time to teach us how to live our lives, we'll miss the opportunity to take advantage of these lessons. So my challenge to you today is to have confidence in your abilities and faith in the notion that taking immediate action will result in much greater gains than if you wait until the time is right. And I know I see your face. Stephen, how do I make this shift? How do I make this happen? How did I just go for it? Let me give you three quick things that will help you. Number one, stop comparing yourself to everybody else. If you constantly compare your accomplishments to others' accomplishments, you'll always find a way to be disappointed. And this disappointment can lead to self-doubt and feelings of unpreparedness. Listen, I've wasted an enormous amount of time in life thinking that everyone else around me somehow had it all together while I was barely staying afloat. I kept wondering when I would finally have the confidence and abilities needed to move forward in life as if these things would just come to me one day. And guess what? I later realized that confidence and ability come from active practice. And the reason many others around me may have been more successful was because they didn't waste time hoping for something to come to them. They did the work. They put the effort in to make it happen. So number one, stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Number two, identify and challenge the excuses that hold you back. Have you ever been like me and said this? I don't have enough money. Uh, I don't have a well-paying job. I don't know what I want out of life. I'm not quite ready yet. Listen, 
since there are innumerable ways things could go wrong when stepping out of our comfort zone, it's possible to create an inexhaustible list of excuses to stay stuck and seemingly safe. But we must realize that most, if not all, of the excuses we make are temporary roadblocks, not concrete walls. And even if it takes a little extra effort, there are ways around them. Listen, if you don't have enough money to go back to school or you're stuck in a dead-end job, you might default to thinking that you'll never make something of yourself. But instead of wallowing in sorrow during this time that you have to yourself, how about engaging in some YouTube videos, some workshops, get a certification that's inexpensive that will help spring you into the next chapter of your life. If you don't know what to do with your life, chances are it's not because you don't want to do anything. Unfortunately, too many of us allow our indecisiveness to manifest in stagnation, and we end up letting opportunity um, pass us by. They slip away from us. Yes, we should be wary of possible things that won't go well in life. But if we let the fear of being unprepared for such contingencies stop us from taking steps forward, we will never get anywhere at all. Listen, it's okay to not feel like you're ready to make a big move in life. We all feel that way at times, but sitting around waiting to be ready won't get you ready. (laughs) You need to actively go out, get the experiences that will prepare you for your next steps and your next chapter in life. You've got to believe in yourself. That's step number three. You've got to seriously believe that God created you and crafted you and gifted you to be amazing in this world. You've got gifts and talents and abilities that nobody else has. Santita, there are other people with radio shows, but can't nobody do a radio show like Santita Jackson. You are gifted in a special and a strategic way. And maybe, just maybe, you aren't ready to take a giant step into the next chapter of your life. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't stop taking baby steps in the right direction to get where you say you want to go. We tend to measure our worth by our major accomplishments, graduations, first jobs, marriages, the list goes on. But we often fail to realize that none of these things happen overnight. It's through the little steps that we take leading to these major events that prepares us to the giant leaps that define who we are. Here's the good news, and I'm closing. As long as you continue to press forward, you'll eventually get where you want to be. Time will not prepare you for what's next in life. Only your experiences and the lessons you learn from them can and will. You'll never be ready, so stop waiting. Go do something today. I'm speechless. Because this is what I needed to hear today. We've got Dr. Shanina Knighton on, but I want you to wait right here, Dr. Knighton, because David called in from San Francisco. He got up real early, Reverend, because he wants to ask you a question. All right. David, David, what's on your mind? Oh, morning, Santita and Reverend. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, he's right. Uh, You do have an excellent show, and you've caused me to get up at 4 in the morning to listen to it. So, So there. Uh, yeah. You know what I want no, to no, ask. No, you know what? You I, sound a little. You sound a little muddied. I want to, so we can understand you. Oh, oh is that any better? Um, no. Are you in an earpiece? How's that? Is that That's better? much better. That's much better. Yes. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the Reverend's right. Uh, you uh, do have an excellent show, and you've caused me to wake up at four in the morning and uh, and. <laughs> <laughs> interact. So uh, it is a it, most instructive show. 
Well, I was going to raise, I, I, you know, certainly everybody's concerned about Gaza, and I was wondering if he's got, uh, I've been worried about whether or not these uh, uh, merchants in the temple are really involved in Gaza. Uh, apparently they've discovered oil underneath Gaza, and, mm-hmm. uh, and fracking is just offshore of Gaza. Mm-hmm. And if there are a bunch of people living on that oil, then typically they have the mineral rights to it. Mm-hmm. And if somebody were to come up with a, an excuse for a war to either kill or drive people off that land, then they would be giving up their mineral rights. So I'm looking at the Ten Commandments and whether or not corporations have to live up to the Ten Commandments. So, for mm-hmm. example, Chevron has the oil rights okay, no. to be drilling out there. Well, no, I need you. If, to, I need you to get if, right to uh, right Chevron to that point before is we get working to with David. Uh, David. Israel. David. Oh yeah, go ahead. Okay, sweet. I need you to get right to the point because I think that you you make a great point that so much of this is about the money because what has continued to go on even as you've had this genocide of the Palestinians, the British. Right. And the American and the Israeli companies have continued to drill for the gas, drill for the oil, and they've continued to make money. And tens of billions of dollars have not gone to the Palestinians, which is their due. Why don't you speak to that, uh, Reverend? Do these corporations have a responsibility to be obedient to the Ten Commandments? That's a great question that David poses. And I believe so. We're human beings. Corporations are not just you know, entities out there functioning by themselves. They're run by people and all people ought to have a moral compass. And we, we hear this term used that it should be people over profits. And that's the reality. There, there's enough out here in this world for all of us to benefit and to live comfortable lives. And it's a shame. It's immoral and it's unfortunate. And it's a sign of injustice, an act of injustice. When a small group of individuals will go to this extreme to exterminate a group of people, to drive them off of their land, to shoot innocent people that have their hands up, that are seeking refuge, that are just in line to get food. There are people that are eating pigeon food and animal food there because no resources have been brought in. That's problematic. And I believe that we reap what we sow, longer than we sow, later than we sow, and more than we sow. People need to be aware of that who sit in these corporate spaces that have the power that they wield to damage and destroy literally millions of lives. It's coming back. What did Mickey Warren, the great musician from Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church, one of my godfathers, he says, you know what, you can get by, but you won't get away. (laughs) Think about that. That's it. Watch it. Dr. Knight, and I'm going to give you a couple of minutes on the other side if you have time, but you can get by, but you cannot get away, everybody. Justice will be done. <laughs> the moral arc of the universe says so. You better get right. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Get right. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show. We're back up on YouTube and StreamYard and Facebook. Woo! It's good to see everybody. Back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. 
Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT, AM 950 Radio is my home station in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And I want to welcome you back to the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Hey, and the Santita Jackson and Friends Facebook page. But go over to the YouTube channel, everybody. Please, D-Way, Paula, go over to YouTube. Facebook has asked me to direct everyone over to YouTube, the Santita Jackson and Friends. No, the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. So please get on over there. Um, Let's talk, we'll be talking with John Nichols about Nancy Pelosi's incendiary charge of those who are calling for a ceasefire might be influenced by China. And in fact, I just heard one of my favorite commentators on CNN just say, well, you know, TikTok and all these uh, social media platforms, that could be true. But you got to be very careful because during um, every progressive movement has been charged with being influenced by Russia or some outside force. But, you know, my father reminds me constantly that the origins of the United States um, are right wing, quite frankly, slavery. Only propertied white males could own land or, or could vote and on and on and on. So we have to, let's not forget that. But let's look at the fact that now, when you look at these protesters, it, anticipate that their groups are going to be infiltrated. They already have been, but there will be mischief as well. These peaceful protests could turn violent. And it's almost always a saboteur from the intelligence community. I'm a veteran of this stuff. I got it. But it's important that we call it out and understand it, because I think as a speaker emerita, that's a very dangerous charge. And how can we call ourselves people who are democratic, who believe in the republic, if every time you see these, every time people protest, they are charged with being subject to an outside influence. But before we get to that, I've got Dr. Shanina Knight. And Dr. Knight, what's the word on our health today? Good morning, Shanti, and I'm only just going to stay around for a couple of minutes just to remind people, and this is in line with what you just mentioned, for us to think cautiously about how we um, engage with vitamins and supplements and just remembering that even though there are, you know, the intended benefits of vitamins to be able to help us, There are additives in them that we must be wary of. It is very important because as we think that we are improving our health and increasing what it is that we're doing, unfortunately, sometimes it could actually be working against us. So meaning, I can give you one more example. If you are taking, let's say, vitamin C and there's ingredients in it, such as, let's say, magnesium stearate or silicon dioxide, which should not be in there, when you're getting better and thinking that you're recovering from a flu or a cold, you could actually have diarrhea or upset stomach as a result of that, and you can think that it is because of the actual illness when, in fact, it could be coming directly from the vitamins that you're trying to take to improve. So it's very important, too. I already know, say ginger ale, because there's a lot of different brands of it. If you are consuming ginger ale that is not natural, that has high fructose corn syrup in it, the sugar already in itself is lowering your immune system. So the sugar is lowering your immune system, but when you have the high fructose corn syrup, you're further aggravating your illness and prolonging it because that is an additive that has 
bad effects because of the high sugar content um, and the detrimental effects that it has, which I won't go too much in detail, but we can talk about high fructose corn syrup at another time. Hmm. Well, that's important because you need to look at these supplements that we're taking and make sure that they are not hurting you, everybody. Make sure they are not hurting you. Make sure they're not hurting you. Sending you so much love today, Dr. Shanina Knight. And hey, Dr. Nina, H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A. That's her handle. Let's get to the black church pushing back against the Biden administration demanding, having had a meeting with the administration, demanding that... In exchange for their support, you have to call for a ceasefire. Many black people, uh, because of oppression, we identify with people who've been oppressed all over the world. That's mostly, that is what we do. And that is why the parishioners of these persons' congregations have pushed the pastors, and the pastors are pushing the president. And it's something for us to look at. What is going on? It's very interesting now you've got these three service persons who've been killed, Dwight McKee and Reverend Dr. Todd Yeary and Reverend Chauncey Brown. Uh, they're African-American, and you see their parents crying, and my heart breaks for them. They got the worst possible news. In fact, one of the mothers was waiting for her daughter to call, to call back. And so she, when she did get a call back, she got the worst possible news. That having been said, uh, Maybe, do you think that would shift opinion, black opinion on Gaza, having seen these three black service members pass? Dwight McKee? Uh, I don't, I think that the tide had already been been shifted against Gaza. I think that black people already began to see Gaza as an abomination. And so this just reinforced the the notion that uh, we were the people of color paying the heaviest price for this. And the real fear is that now this is going to escalate and become a wider battle. And so I think it's turned it's, it's helped uh, help reinforce the notion that we need a ceasefire right away before this gets to be even even more broad and even more people are, are under attack, especially our own young people who are over there. Uh, and I don't think that a lot of people really understand why they're over there and what them being that have to do with protecting Israel. And so I think it's going to raise a fury of questions as to why do they have all these bases over there, independent even of Israel, and why a compelling need to, uh, what are we protecting over there? Are we protecting Israel? Are we protecting other things like oil or the ally? I think it's going to raise more issues and more questions. Mm. So, but what do you make of these pastors pushing back uh, on, uh, I mean, they didn't just request a meeting with the president. They are demanding that there be a ceasefire. They're demanding that. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, people who have conservative congregations, people who have progressive and everything in between. Uh, Reverend Dr. Freddie Haynes, the new president and CEO of Rainbow Push, was quoted in this article, as was Pastor Jamal Bryant. I mean, some of the biggest preachers in the country. 
Well, I, I think Biden misunderstood the black tr- church tradition. I think he thought he was talking to, you know, evangelicals or the Billy Graham crowd. You know, I think that he really misunderstood what the black church is and who the black church is. The black church comes from a large, long tradition of uh, pro-peace, anti-war, pro-justice tradition. All the way back to, you know, to a Frederick Douglass, who was a minister who comes out of the black church that Brother Uri now is the minister in, to Dr. King and 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 uh, his father and his grandfather, his father's father, come out of tradition where they were demanding that the politicians study war no more and abide in peace. And even Lyndon Johnson misunderstood him, thought that because he thought he had actually bought him off with that civil rights legislation and was shocked when Dr. King, in spite of getting that great present from him, put a movement together to resist the war. And say this is an unjust war and I have to if I'm gonna maintain my consciousness I'm going to have to fight this unjust war. Is that the, the tradition of the of of the black church is a, a tradition of fighting for justice and the uh, underserved? And I think that Biden really thought he had them and black men under his thumb because he has given them, you know, two or three concessions. And a president over here and a gift over there. And I thought he thought it was buying their silence when they really come out for more of a prophetic tradition than a political, patriotic tradition. Like much of the white church, they are more out of a patriotic tradition. Uh, Billy Graham played golf with the presidents. Mm-hmm. Dr. King played poker with the presidents. And, and, and your dad played poker with your presidents and said, you know, cut it out, study war no more. Uh, and he protested the wars in his, genera- in his generation. So I think it's, he just misunderstood who he's dealing with. Hmm. Pastor Chauncey Brown, you're head of 1,000 churches connected for Rainbow Push and, of course, the Second Baptist Church in Maywood, Illinois. What do you make of this? Because indeed, the president of Rainbow Push, uh, Reverend Dr. Frederick Haynes, said, quote, what they are witnessing from the administration in Gaza is a glaring contradiction to what we thought the president and the administration was about. Uh, So when you hear a president say the term redeem the soul of America, well, this is a stain, a scar on the soul of America. There's something about this that becomes hypocritical. Pastor Brown. Absolutely. Uh, what what we're witnessing, and I echo the sentiments of our uh, president, the Reverend Dr. Frederick Douglass Haynes, as well as the importance of seeing a thousand, at least a thousand other pastors across this country standing and saying, hey, uh, we can't allow politics to continue to be played over humanity. Humanity is suffering. Humanity is dying. Uh, humanity is being imprisoned, being displaced at the hands 
of uh, the government, uh, whether it's the Israeli government and even the aid of the U.S. government. And uh, I enjoy what I see as far as the pastors coming together and saying, hey, we're not going to lie down and uh, stay within our churches, but we're going to come outside our churches and we're bringing our members with us. And we're going to stand and say, hey, God cares about humanity. God cares about his creation. And despite our political differences, despite maybe our different creeds and different belief systems, we're calling death on humanity wrong. We're speaking out. And I enjoy this because uh, I believe until now, for a long time, the church has lied dormant. Uh, The church has been silent. Uh, But now we're seeing a unifying power across churches that recognize and relate with the struggle that we're seeing our Palestinian uh, brothers and sisters and those who are even dying in Israel. Uh, We're seeing the relation uh, between the genocide and such that has happened all over this world. Uh, And we see the relation as African-Americans, the genocide that has happened on us in years past. And uh, I might say it's still happening in many ways. Mm. Reverend Dr. Todd Yeary, your thoughts. What about this call uh, and this and the demand uh, that you either call the ceasefire or we're not going to support you? That's significant. I think there are a couple of things here. One, let, let, let's start with that last point. Uh, it, it is not and it has not been a guarantee that we would support the president. So let's start there. So this isn't an ultimatum that you had our vote to begin with. What you had was a relationship and an opportunity to make the case to the constituency that we serve that you are worthy of our vote so that when we begin to push our congregations to engage in civic participation, it is informed by the agenda, not by the party affiliation. So I want to be real clear on that from the very beginning. The second thing is, is that when the president talks about redeeming the soul of, the, of America, he's right on the what, he's wrong on the why. Because the redemption of the soul of, the, of America was about a person. He made it about a distinction between himself and the former president. What he missed was that the why, the redemption for the soul of America, is still one based on moral conscience and principle. The same drivers that caused Dr. King to raise the questions and the issues that he did. The three great evils that we face, poverty, racism, and war, are still the three great evils we deal with even today. And so this this call to moral conscience in focusing on the injustice that is currently going on in the Middle East, and here's the injustice that's been perpetrated on innocent civilians on both sides. Let's be real clear. But what we got to recognize is you cannot give your ally license to just totally annihilate his enemy. That's not even biblical in its foundation. And so we cannot sit by, we will not stand by and watch the president claim some sort of right or entitlement uh, to the support of, of, of black people of faith without forcing the president to confront with the black political theology of those people of faith. And it is grounded very clearly. What we recognize is that this, even in in the letter, the thousands, I was one among them who signed the petition. And, and this is how far back this petition goes. 
at the time that it was drafted and we were signing it, the death toll had just crossed 10,000. Mm-hmm. Here we are approaching 30,000, and we still have not heard anything. Not not to impose a ceasefire, he won't even use the word ceasefire. And so the problem becomes, if you become, and Dr. King was real clear, when it's all said and done, it is not the words of our enemies that we will remember, but the silence of our friends. He's being quiet at the wrong time. This is the time that he needs to speak up. And at the end of the day, if he thinks that in some political calculus it is going to cost him, the political calculus is that his silence, his silence, it will not necessarily mean that folks will run to another candidate or another party. What they will do is that they will get their ballots, they will vote in those elections that matter, and they will leave the presidency blank. He, it may not go to another, another candidate, but it will not necessarily go to him. And so that's where we are in this moment. And to your point, Santita, last point is that this isn't about a, a, a uniform theology. This is not groupthink. You have folks who have Southern Baptist congregations, some Methodist congregations, some non-denominational congregations, all signing that petition. And the president needs to be aware. He may get through the primary, but the general election is coming, and that's where judgment will be imposed on how he has led in this moment of moral conscience and moral crisis. And at this point, the jury is not out. The jury deliberation is over. They just not have issued their verdict yet, and the president is wasting time. Well, you know, I'm glad that you made the point that, you know, everybody keeps saying that black people will not show up to the polls. That's not true. They just might not vote for you. We need to stop acting as if we are stupid. We, as Reverend Jackson says, we have not been able to survive here for more than 400 years, going on 500, being dumb. That is not what we do. You have a lot of people who feel that they have another option, and they are not. I mean, why do you think, Pastor Geary, and I'm going to ask the rest of the panel this, this article from the New York Times, which was, to me, a fantastic article, and I was... It must be something big for, for the New York Times to address it. Black pastors pressure Biden to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. What is it about the Gazan experience that resonates with black Americans? We saw that when we have these protests, the, the Palestinian youth reach out to black American youth and say, hey, this is how you have to deal with the police. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. What is it? Why is there such resonance? Well, there, there's resonance. Resonance in in the in the notion that when there has been disagreement, and we've often been the enemy, we've often been the one against whom such violent ends and means have been used writ large around the world. Whether we are looking at the the the, the experience of plantation slavery in this country, if we look at the Berlin Conference and the carving up of the African continent uh, that led to the colonial period that extends to today, if we look throughout world history, not just American history, this has always been particularly problematic. And when we consider where we are right now, I think it is that awareness of global continuity, the recognition that we've seen this movie before, that is driving this sense of urgency for the prophetic witness of the black church to speak up in this moment. Because here's what I think my colleagues and I agree on. We will not go to hell endorsing your sin. Once we confront you, we've addressed it. 
Now you're sounding like my mom. <laughs> oh yeah, she said I can't bless this mess. This is this is wrong. Period. Mm-hmm. Right. I've had that conversation with her. I know you have. She said, now I've done politics, but I'm not a politician. This is just wrong. That's it. And we come out of the church. We call balls and strikes. Boom. Pastor Chauncey Brown, your thoughts? Uh, yes. When I said uh, Dr. Jamal Bryant, uh, he said it very plainly that I think that uh, President Biden threatens his own success. Uh, because of the plight of black of black America, uh, because of the struggle that we currently face, uh, have been facing, and in many ways have overcome in this country, we relate to what is happening to those in Gaza, happening on those in Gaza. And so I believe uh, it is without saying that I think when we had this conversation just less than a month ago, we were talking about the silence of the church, the silence of prophetic witness uh, in the church and how important it is. And here we are less than a month later. You have all of these faith leaders, because we are talking about the thousand black churches and pastors, but there are thousands of churches across and even across creed that are standing up and saying, we're not going to be passive in this. Uh, Mr. President, we need a different direction. We need a new resolution. We need a peaceful resolution. We need a ceasefire. And it's Dr. Haynes who said it at our summit in Gaza at Rainbow Push Coalition. He made the statement or suggested the question, have we become less prophetic to raise money for our nonprofits? And when he raised that question, it enlightened us and gave us a scope. And I believe maybe was a call to action to those churches that were fearful to stand up because of uh, risk, because we do know ceasefire is just such a dangerous word in America today. Um, Really, it's just a humanitarian word that says we want people to stay alive. We don't want people annihilated. We don't want genocide. Um, There's a better way. There's a peaceful resolution. And so what we're witnessing, uh, from my perspective, is something beautiful, and it it transcends this one moment. It's the beginning of momentum. Uh, This won't be the last time that this group of pastors demands from the president. It won't be the last time that we uh, are prophetically speaking into and speaking to uh, relevant issues with God's revelation. And uh, I tend to agree with Dr. Jamal Bryant. Uh, President Biden is standing in the way of his own success, taking the vote for granted. Um, And ultimately, it's unique that many leaders are saying, well, we don't believe one side is the best for us, but we want to make sure that the side that we have chosen is going to work for us. And if it doesn't, we've got to go another direction. Well, Dwight, remember, you're not black if you don't vote for Biden. I'm just kidding. But he did say that. (laughs) i got two minutes for you, Dwight. (laughs) Well, I think... I think that our obsession with theology, the theology of of our fathers and forefathers, is one that's rooted in identification with Jesus, who comes from the press, 
who identifies with the press. You know, one of our leading theologians, Howard Thurman, hmm. talks about Jesus and the oppressed. I think Reverend Hatch has written a book about it, as a matter of fact, hmm. is that when you really examine the uh, the God of our Bible, of our Old Testament and New Testament, all, every position he's taken is with those who are oppressed and suppressed against the wicked and the wealthy. And so it, it is the basis of how we relate to theology and what God compels us to do and who God is and who's what God's interests lie. Always well, with openness. Well, you know, indeed, that is what Reverend Dr. Howard Thurman, uh, he asserted that Jesus is on the side of the oppressed. Fantastic book. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT and Dwight. Uh, you need to respond to Robert. He said, folks will do anything to involve us in their mess. They think that splashing black soldiers all over media are going to make us support folks that have been doing, that's been stealing from us in particular, including down to our identity and names. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. There's a whole lot going on. A lot going on. But, of course, we pray for these, for these three service persons who were killed. His, their parents and their loved ones, husbands, wives, partners received the worst possible news. And then the question is, why are we there? What are we doing? Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. Calls at 773-763-WCPT. Back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. In Chicago, we're going to have a high of 36 degrees. It will be cloudy in... Minneapolis, St. Paul, 40 degrees. It will be cloudy. And hey, everybody, I'm turning over my headlines as the Bulls face the Raptors tonight and as the Timberwolves are triumphant over the Thunder, 107 to 101. Turning over these headlines to Jonah Karsh from If Not Now. There's a big, big event happening in the, in the City Council of Chicago, which dovetails into what we're talking about today as the black church is pushing President Biden. They're telling him, if you do not call for a ceasefire, we're not going to support you. That's the biggest voting block of black people in the United States. That's not a good thing, at least not for him. Uh, Jonah Karsh, if not now, and what is going on in the city council tomorrow? Well, uh, tomorrow we have a, a fantastic opportunity in the city of Chicago to become the largest city in the United States to pass a resolution uh, at the city council level calling for a ceasefire. Uh, this morning, we woke up to some great news. The Chicago Sun-Times editorial board has called for alders to support the resolution. Uh, our mayor, Brandon Johnson, is in support of the resolution. Um, and this started as a grassroots effort, uh, uh, a combination of community-based organizations and progressive staffers who felt that after October 7th, when the city council uh, passed a resolution not standing with the people of Israel in in the face of a of a horrific attack against them, but with the state of Israel as it prepared to carry out 
uh, genocidal violence against Palestinians. And the city council said, we stand with Israel. We stand with the state of Israel. Um, we needed to fix that. And we needed to say morally as a city uh, that, no, we, we, we need to call for peace. Uh, Chicago has, uh, and Chicago area, has both uh, one of the largest populations of Holocaust survivors anywhere in the country except for Israel, but it also has one of the largest Palestinian-American populations in the country. And those are communities that are systematically divided from each other, but we know actually that our safety is intertwined and the just unspeakable devastation that we're seeing in Gaza needs to stop immediately and that that's good for Israelis and that's good for Palestinians both. Um, and so we are trying to get to 26. Uh, there are 50 members of the city council. We need 26 of them to vote yes. Uh, I won't I won't give the full behind the scenes information that we're getting about where people are, but I'm, I want I want your listeners to know which aldermen have not publicly, even if they're saying this or that privately, have not publicly committed to supporting this resolution. I'm just going to name them down so that uh, your listeners uh, urge you to give them a call uh, in the next 24 hours. The meeting is tomorrow at 10 a.m., and they need to hear from as many people as possible that uh, our city needs to stand on the right side of history and pass this resolution. So some, some of the alders that have not come out in support in the second ward, Brian Hopkins in the third ward, Pat Dowell in the seventh ward, Greg Mitchell, eighth ward, Michelle Harris, Ninth Ward, Anthony Beal. Tenth Ward, Peter Chico. Eleventh Ward, Nicole Lee. Thirteenth Ward, Marty Quinn. Fifteenth Ward, Ray Lopez. Sixteenth Ward, Stephanie Coleman. Seventeenth Ward, David Moore. Eighteenth Ward, Derek Curtis. Nineteenth Ward, Matt O'Shea. Twenty-third Ward, Silvana Tavares. Twenty-fourth Ward, Monique Scott. Twenty-seventh uh, Ward, Walter Burnett. Twenty-eighth Ward, Jason Irvin. Twenty-ninth Ward, Chris Taliaferro. 31st Ward, Felix Cardona, 32nd Ward, Scott Wagenstack, 4th Ward, Phil Conway, 36th Ward, Gil Villegas, 37th Ward, Emma Mitt, 38th Ward, Nick Sposato, 39th Ward, Sam Nugent, 41st Ward, Anthony Napolitano, 42nd Ward, Brendan Riley, 43rd Ward, Timmy Knutson, 44th Ward, Bennett Lawson, and 50th Ward, Deborah Silverstein. And it sounds like a lot. But we need the listeners to know there are 50 members of the city council, and we started with two co-sponsors, got up to eight, and we were told there's not a chance. And now we have close to 20, 22, 23 people uh, publicly or privately indicating that they're ready to support this resolution. And we just need that final push to get a few more of them across the finish line. Um, and and when they hear from their constituents, uh that that's a big deal. So going to urge everyone, if you heard the name of your older person, they have not publicly committed and we need you to give them a call today. Amen. And you'll be back on tomorrow because we will be down at the city council. Reverend Jackson's going to be down there. I'm going to be down there. Dwight, we're all going to get down there. Pastor Brown, we're all going to get down there so that we can see. Because I'm going to tell you, you've already won. You went from two co-sponsors to eight people signing on to 20, 21, 22. You want people to go on the record, Jonah Karsh, about how they feel about this. You want them to go on the record, no matter what. Be on the wrong side of history. George Wallace was on the wrong side of history, and he lives in history. Tell the story. Let's not lie about it. If this is not where you are, I just want to know. That's all I want to know. And then I'll get somebody else to run in you. 
to run and get your seat. Because I need people who work for me, not for somebody else. Jonah Karsh, if not now, sending you so much love. Can't wait to have you back on in the morning. And uh, everybody, call your alder here in Chicago and let them know that you want them to vote for this resolution. Whether they've signed on or not, let them know what it is that you want. People power is moving the needle in this issue, in this area. Dwight McKee, I wanted you to uh, speak to Robert Williams who said folks will do anything to involve us in their mess. He says that by thinking, uh, thinking that there's splash by splashing black soldiers all over the media, it might turn our support. Now, mind you, he is not disparaging the lives of those who were killed by these drones. And it turns out it was a mistake. Oh, my gosh, Dwight, this is like scary. They couldn't make heads or tails of it. And these people were killed. And more than 30 people were injured. I mean, the numbers continue to go up every day. Uh, what do you think about this? Because it was heartbreaking seeing the mother. Uh, I think it was the youngest soldier killed. She said, I was waiting for my daughter to call me back. We had just spoken with her. Wow, Dwight. Well, it's very, 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 very sad. And we, of course, we want to give our condolences to the families. But it raises the issue is what are our children doing there anyway? Is the issue, are they fighting for social justice and for peace? If so, if that is the case, then how come they, none of our kids die in the Congo, or die in the African countries that are going through war or famine? Uh, how come they're white, not white soldiers? in Africa or in South America where they're having all of these issues dying for the dispossessed and the suffering. So is it really about democracy? Is it about security? Uh, Or is it about oil? Is it about, you know, positioning in in that part of the world that have trade routes in the, 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 the oil fields? And, you know, and who are we doing that in behalf of? Are we doing this in behalf of the average citizen who even today is paying, is overpaying for oil, who can't really almost afford to fill their cars? Or are we protecting the interests of the oil companies that make trillions and trillions of dollars off of this oil and off of these shipping lanes? I mean, what what is the, who is paying the price and for whom are they paying the price? Uh, and so I think that, that that Robert is right. They'll take these black faces and flash them all over the screen and act like it has something to do with democracy and fairness. But the fact of the matter is, is it that, and I'm just raising the question, or are these, they're using these kids who, who have, many of them have few occupational options because mm-hmm. they are many of them from poor families. And are they using them to protect the interests of the rich and the greedy? Are they using them so that Netanyahu can steal more land from the poor, who, in terms of caste and class, they should identify with the Palestinian kids more than those oil companies that send them there, because that's who they have more in common with. Hmm. Call us at 773-763-9278. Otis, what's on your mind today? Um, good morning. Um, good morning. I agree with that. I, I agree that 
uh, that these uh, that the media and the black people that's on the, on TV on the media are using these um, these murders as like a, a way to get black people once again to support something that they're not going to get nothing from another organization. The guy that came on and said that uh, that you was talking to about how he wanted certain people to vote to support uh, Israel. Um, my thing is, before this war, what have the people that in Palestine and Israel done for black people to help us over here or anywhere economically um, than now when they just want to say, hey, this is wrong. This has happened to you, too. It's been happening to us. We have an immigration uh, issue over here that's going to, uh, that uh, I'm finding out that the Chicago Housing Authority is going to get involved in helping immigrants get uh, places to, uh, to live. And you got people, black people on the waiting list that have been there for like eight and ten years and uh, haven't even got a phone call. So this thing, I, I just want to know also, this guy asking for names. I want to know who the black pastors are and the churches that are supporting this. I want to know how can I get their information because when it comes time for voting, any politician supporting this, I'm going to make sure that people don't vote for them. I'm going to make sure that people don't go to their churches. Because when in the Bible, you tell people, not you, people, those people that support that, them churches, tell me in the, in the Bible where it's okay for one race of people to go help another race while your people starve to death or suffer. While other people that you helping, they getting, they got more, they got, they still getting millions of dollars. Well, so that's all I want to say right now. I'll call <clears throat> back tomorrow. Thank you, Otis. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't support racism, and I think it's a false choice for us to talk about what we're going to give to migrants and what we're not giving to African Americans. They play, continue to play us off against each other. There are 16 million vacant units of housing in the United States. We could resolve the housing crisis, the homelessness crisis, the crisis of the unhoused if we wanted to. But these people continue to have us fighting each other on the ground while the people, while the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. The Bible in no way, shape, form, or fashion supports racism. In fact, we were separated as punishment because we were so foolish when we were all together. So let's be very, very careful about this. Does anyone else want to take a bite at what Otis was saying, Reverend Dr. Yuri, Pastor Brown? Let me, uh, let me start with a couple of things about the way the media is rolling it out and what the interpretation ought to be. These were three... Mm-hmm. Black reservists, uh, having spent time in the reserves, very often we forget that there are folks who uh, go into the reserves because they want some of the benefit to address some of the shortfalls that Dwight just talked about. And they, in the process, find themselves in what we would call the war theater. They find themselves in places where there are conflicts that they don't fully understand. They just know they have orders to be there and they are being true to what their commitment has been. And so what this does is I think it raises the sense of awareness that we are not unimpacted by what's going on. I think it has the exact opposite uh, 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 impact that I think my brother points to is that it reminds us that as black folk, we can't be silent because we're losing our kids in this conflict as well. And they don't even understand why it's a conflict at this scale uh, and where it, where it originates and how we've arrived at this place. So that's one. The second thing, though, is I think he's right that we should make sure 
sure that we hold accountability in this season where there's going to be posturing and visiting and trying to kiss babies and come to the different gatherings because you can't just come exploit my people for your benefit and then forget about us when you get what you asked for. And so I think that's the accountability that we see in the petition. That is what we hear rising up. And as these pastors and others are educating our congregations on the issue, it is not just an October 7th issue. When we talk about the history of the conflict and uh, our brother who laid out the city council uh, issues made a, a clear point that I don't want to lose. There's a difference between supporting the Israeli people and, so, and supporting the Israeli government. They are not synonymous. And when we look at the demographics of the state of Israel, it is diverse. All of the what we would call the three great Western religions are represented uh, in the population of Israel. We know the historic fight over who has access to the ancient city of Jerusalem. And so in the course of this process, we are called to stand with the Israeli people, even if it means we must stand against the Israeli government. Mm. Pastor Brown? Absolutely. I, I share the sentiments of uh, Reverend Yeary as well as listening to uh, Brother Otis who called in. I think it's uh, a conversation that has to be both and. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 lets us know that we are responsible to show hospitality to strangers, uh, but we don't neglect what is happening in our communities, happening on our communities. Um, and I believe there, there are so many uh, great pastors, whether connected to Rainbow Push Coalition, uh, those with the Leaders Network, and working to build coalition within our communities. Um, but there's going to have to be a way that the coalition is built. It's not going to be built. Um, a lot of times there's, uh, there's a lot of wanting to tell the church how to function, um, when the church is the voice of God in our communities. And so in the midst of our crisis, we can't refuse to be more like Christ. So, yes, there's a lot of things happening in our house. Uh, but when our brothers and sisters that may be strangers to our house or strangers unto us, uh, we still have the responsibility to come to their aid uh, and come to, uh, yeah, I would say, come to their aid and walk alongside them and show hospitality. So it's not neglecting what is needed in our community. There's enough in this world that we can all have it all. Um, but we're continually being pinned against each other, fighting for scraps. While, as you alluded to, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. And now we're fighting at the bottom while it's empty at the top. Uh, we're fighting each other over the leftovers when there's so much more, which is by design. That's what, that's what uh, the system wants us to do, wants us to fight each other, wants us to find the flaws in each other nonstop so that there is no accountability to the system that is breaking the people. So now you have broken people fighting each other. Um, and we're not seeking reconciliation. We're not seeking unity. We're not seeking to work together. But now we're saying, well, you can't help them because you haven't helped us. And you haven't helped us, so there's no way that you could go help them. That's, that's a broken mindset. That's a bonded mentality. And, uh, and we can do so much together. 
Well, it's also untrue. Let me add this before you do. That's why travel and exposure is so important. When you get over to Gaza, when you get over to the West Bank, when you get over all over the world, oppressed people everywhere, when you get to Northern Ireland, they identify with black people in America. They know our struggle better than most of us do, Dwight. I think it's important for us to understand that. And it's also interesting to me how now we're so concerned about the homeless. When they were homeless, before we started bringing the migrants in, these people have been homeless for years. And yet they have not been on the top of our radar. It's such hypocrisy. So now that other homeless people have been brought in, now we have this esoteric concern, this existential concern about the homeless that we didn't have as they were homeless before. And so it seems like a lot of politics to me, real politics to me, is that uh, it's almost to me a pretext. To the, when Rom cut the housing vouchers, Rom was sitting on $500 million of housing vouchers uh, that he, from hood, that he would not put into play, which is what forced blacks to move from the city. Many of us still voted for Rump, and few of us picketed Rump. Some of us did, but few of us picketed Rump for sitting on the housing vouchers. But now, all of a sudden, that it looks like somebody else is coming in and being able to get housing. Now it's an interest for us is the, well, well, what are we doing for the folks that don't have housing? You hypocrites. That's what a lot of that is. It's just pure hypocrisy. We don't care about either. <laughs> On the best day, Bob Smith says, go west, vote west. Uh, Robert Williams says that Mr. Biden, federal authorities profiling black men at U.S. airports. That's a concern for him. Um, and D. Ray Jones said, well... Where is Cornell West in 2024? Haven't heard nor seen any movement. Uh, say something, Dr. West. Well, the thing is, you can't get him on uh, on corporate television, but, you know, he's been on this show, and I'm going to reach back out to him today so he can come back on. Lorraine says, please like and share. Thank you, Lorraine. Bob Smith says, I'm voting West. Must make me mulatto. Ooh. <laughs> That's rich. D. Ray countered. West hasn't been participating in um, in personal stuff, and but that's not true. Uh, what do you think, Dwight? Because you have been advising Cornell West, and every time well, I've spoken with him, he's all over the country, someplace. Yeah, he went and spoke for the Palestinians in Detroit. He was here for our, our event two weeks ago and did a magnificent seminar. It pushed itself. And which was broadcast. You can see it on if you pull it up on broadcast. They're not going to give him so much airplay on mainstream media because it's not in their interest to hear the truth that he's telling. That's D-Ray. That really is how it is. That's why when he comes on the show, I give him the floor. Because you're not going to hear him too many other places. But that's all right. He's still there. He's still there. And call his campaign. Let him know that you want to see him in Chicago or wherever. Let him know. Let him know. And get people registered to vote. That's how we can make things right. You know, don't just leave it to the candidate to come up with all the ideas. You come up with some of your own. Get involved. Get active. Make things happen. Let's talk with John Nichols about Nancy Pelosi, Dwight McKee. 
Reverend Chauncey Brown, Reverend Dr. Uh, Todd Yeary. Now, not only did Nancy Pelosi say that people who are calling for a ceasefire are giving us Putin's message and we're being influenced unduly by Russia. When people turned out in front of her home to protest what she said, she told them to go back to China. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Call me. Oh, on the Santita Jackson Show, 773-763-9278. Back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. You know what time it is. It's time to speak with John Nichols, but everybody else wanted to stay around. Dwight McKee, Pastor Chauncey Brown, and Reverend Dr. Todd Deary want to know what he has to say about Nancy Pelosi. She was on CNN with Dana Bash on Sunday. And in an interview, she suggested that the FBI should investigate those calling for a ceasefire. She said, for them to call for a ceasefire is Mr. Putin's message, and I quote her, make no mistake, make no mistake. This is directly connected to what Putin would like to see. I think some of these protesters are spontaneous and organic and sincere. Some, I think, are connected to Russia. And when she was confronted with protesters outside of her home, she told them to go back to China, John, where your headquarters are. John, now I'm hearing, I'm hearing J. Edgar Hoover, Dr. King. I mean, I'm hearing that if I like slavery, I'm a capitalist. I'm hearing if I want freedom, I'm a communist. Just saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, look, um, Speaker Pelosi, who has a, she's the former speaker, but she has a position of great authority as Speaker Emeritus. She is uh, a very powerful figure in the Democratic Party, somebody who can pick up the phone and talk to Joe Biden. She represents one of the most liberal cities in the country, supposedly San Francisco. Um, You know, she ought to be somebody who, who clearly understands that the tens of millions of Americans who are expressing concern, if the polls are correct, who are expressing, expressing deep concern about what's been going on in Gaza, who want a ceasefire, who want the release of the hostages, who want a release of prisoners from Israel, and who want a, a renewing of a peace process that can actually get to a place of justice for Palestinians and Israelis, that all these people who want this, she ought to understand that they are sincere, that they are knowledgeable, that they read the newspapers, they watch television, they follow social media, they track down information because they want to be on the right side of history. She ought to understand that instead. Instead, on a national television program where she has a a bully pulpit, a platform from which to say, you know, whatever she wants to say, instead, she smears those tens of millions of people she suggests that they are at best dupes and at worst in the service of another country. It is the the worst sort of, of politics. And it isn't done with sincerity, I don't think. You know, maybe I can't get inside her head. But I, I fear it's done with a, a desire to shut down the debate. 
to say that those who are calling for ceasefire are somehow foreign, that somehow different, somehow disconnected from the great mass of Americans. Well, let me tell you something. I have been to those protests. I've seen the people who are out. I have seen Mennonites, people of deep faith, who as a religious denomination have said that it is their duty to go to every congressional office, to go to every Senate office and demand a ceasefire. They go singing religious songs. They go saying quotes from the Bible. These people are not influenced by Russia. They are influenced by their Christian faith. And the same is true of Jewish Voice for Peace. The same is true of our Muslim brothers and sisters who've risen up in horror at what's going on in Gaza. For Pelosi to say what she said and to try and cast aspersions on this movement is, is it's not just wrong. That's a, that's, it is that, of course. But it's also cruel and destructive at a time it's dangerous. when, frankly, great movement. It, well, yes, it's it is dangerous. dangerous. She has the power to direct the FBI to investigate these people, the IRS, and all of these intelligence communities and the police. That is exactly what she was doing. And we need to recognize this because we we have done this before. And mm-hmm. she needs to be called yes. out about that. I mean, directly. She needs And she needs to be held to account. She does. What she's doing is dangerous. And it's from a playbook. They did that to Dr. King, for heaven's sake. Have we not learned anything? No. I mean, they infiltrated the peace movement when we were trying to when we were trying not to go into Iraq. That's what they do. They do it all the time. She's ridiculous. Well, it's you know, it's the sadness of it is the sadness of this is that Nancy Pelosi is a figure who has done a a good deal of, of positive in this in this world. She's been on the right side of history many times. She was a great legislative leader. Um, there's no question of that. But if this is her legacy, right, to go down as one who is literally um, you know, smearing a mass movement for peace and justice, not just in America, but in the world, um, it's, it's, it's such an awful way to finish your, your career. And, and let me tell you something. People will remember this. Yes, there will be people who actually believe her, actually, you know, side with her, which is which is terrible. But also, there are people who will remember this and remember this is her legacy. Just as what happened badly to Lyndon Johnson, right? Lyndon Johnson, president, who ended up um, being remembered for Vietnam, right? Because mm-hmm. he got it wrong. She, Nancy Pelosi, got it wrong yesterday. Or on Sunday, she got it wrong, um, and I tell you, a lot of people. Yeah, she kept at it. A lot of people have called her out. Um, it's very notable that um, you know this isn't the 1950s. This isn't the 1960s. I think a lot more people are confident uh, to step up now. I hope so, at least, and um, Boy, and to say this is wrong. What is the political fallout? I'm sorry, Dwight. Well, Dwight, hold on one second. Hold, hold, Dwight, no, hold on. I want you to come in. But is there any political fallout for her with this at this time, particularly as you're watching these young people? Um, I mean, I just saw Debbie Dingle on CNN this morning, and 
she was looking like she was in a frazzle because she said, because she's sitting up in Michigan with all of these Arab Americans. And she said, look, I'm trying to let people know what my caseload is, because that is what congresspersons do. She said, I'm dealing with people whose relatives, their cousins, their grandmothers, their grandfathers, their parents are getting killed over in Gaza. She said, y'all got to do something. Mm-hmm. Well, and Debbie Gingell, who's a close ally of Nancy Pelosi for many years, um, has come out for a ceasefire uh, and is one of more than 60 members of Congress, uh, 60 members of the House. I think four or five senators have come out for a ceasefire. This is an interesting thing to, to mention as regards what Nancy Pelosi is saying, because she is suggesting that those who are calling for a ceasefire are somehow doing uh, Putin's business, right, that they are you know, worthy of being investigated by the FBI. Is she talking about the more than 60 Democrats in the House of Representatives who come out for a ceasefire? Is she talking about the, the Democratic senators who come out for a ceasefire? Who is she talking about? Who, who, who does she think are, are the dupes here? Who does she think are the, you know, the people who are potentially in the service of some other country? Um, these are her colleagues. Many of them are her close colleagues and longtime allies. She needs to pause. She needs to pause and think about what she is saying. And she needs to clarify, frankly, that she was wrong, but also to make it clear that there are millions and millions of sincere supporters of a ceasefire in the United States and to smear them with charges that they are somehow dupes or, or servants of some other country. That is, that is fundamentally wrong. And she knows that. Well, Karen well, Lene says that she should apologize. That is what Karen Lene has written already. That she should apologize. And she should apologize. Because it's yeah, insulting to the people. Yes? Yeah, you know what confuses me, John? What? When, when uh, Goldman Sachs go over and sell a trillion dollars of bonds to China, to the communists. She don't send the FBI after them. Mm-mm. And they're mm-hmm. doing direct business with China. It's very mm-hmm. confusing when when she carries the, the water for Israel, she's not a subversive. She is representing a foreign state and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is considered a patriarch. But if we mm-hmm. raise the question about Israel and, and, and what they're doing over there. Mm-hmm. Somehow now we're subversive and we work for a foreign state. Again, it's the mm-hmm. patent hypocrisy that confuses me. You know, and she can well, be in line of succession to the presidency to a country that is heavily indebted to China. Wait a minute, our best yeah. friends are socialists who are the, who mm-hmm. are the, well, they're socialists at least for the poor people in the UK, and we are mm-hmm. in debt to China. Who are communists? Are you for real? I mean, what are you talking well, about? And and this is this is the the painful reality, right? That that we live in a country where um, the very very powerful uh, gave us trade policies in the nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties, two thousands, which were very beneficial to China, right, which were very beneficial to other countries around the world. Those trade policies did tremendous damage to industrial workers, to uh, communities across this country, 60,000 factories closed, uh, a huge kind of hollowing out of, of whole sectors of our economy. 
And why, why did they do that? Because it was very, very profitable for a handful of people on Wall Street, for a handful of investors, you know, and for, frankly, a handful of politicians who got big campaign contributions. But it was very damaging to the, the great mass of working class Americans. We don't call them out. I don't, I don't hear them getting called out as mm-hmm. to ser- servants of some other country. But I do hear and this attack on, again, I want to emphasize, who is out there calling for a ceasefire? More than 60 Democratic members of Congress, many of them members of the Black Caucus, many of them members of the Hispanic Caucus, many of them uh, members of the Progressive Caucus, but people, all of whom have, have worked with Nancy Pelosi on, on fundamental issues. Uh, and beyond that, who in the streets, who's out there in these communities, who's out there protesting? These are Mennonites and Quakers and Catholics and Jews and Muslims and people of, of all religious backgrounds, in many, many cases, probably the overwhelming majority of cases, motivated by their, their faith and their values to say that they don't want to see more children killed. They don't want to see more men and women killed in Gaza, civilians being killed, over 25,000 of them. Over 25,000 people killed. And... The United States government, you know, providing weapons, providing support, providing cover in the United Nations. I mean, these people are just saying, as Americans, as patriotic Americans, don't do this in our name. Don't don't perpetuate this wrong. And to suggest that there's anything more or anything different than a sincere faith, a sincere set of values that motivates us. That's just that's that's the worst of politics. It's the politics we saw we've seen in the past. Um, it's been called McCarthyism. It's been called a lot of other names. It's been associated with Joe, with J. Edgar Hoover, and with the segregationists who tried to attack Mayor Rustin and Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, it's there's there's lots of histories here, but we're not in history. We're now. We're we're living now, and we know the wrongs of the past, and we ought to be guided by a sense of what's right for the future. Some of us know the wrongs of the past, John. Others do not. I mean, we'd be surprised at who really signs on to the philosophy of A.J. Edgar Hoover. And they're Democrats and they are Republicans. Um, And they are people with whom we have worked closely in the past. I think I don't need to put the caveat that uh, Nancy Pelosi's done some great things and she's been an ally. There's no question about that. But should she be called out about this? Absolutely. And this hits me very personally because I have been in I have lived in a family that's been surveilled since I was born. Just about this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You kill Mm -hmm. you kill Malcolm X's family. You kill Malcolm X in front of his wife and children. I mean, how much more are we going to do here? This is what we do. The intelligence community is all wrapped up in the death of Dr. King. And on and on and on it goes. The most dangerous Negro in America. And here we go. Oh, here we go again. You saw Michael Moore's movie. The people who were mm-hmm. calling for violence in these peace rallies. They were from the police. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no acknowledgement of that. And so she would dare say that and then she shouts at people. Uh, go back to China where your headquarters are. I mean, Nancy, that's where your headquarters are because they carry our debt. Hello? Hmm. Am, am I no, wrong here? No. Let me be fair to Nancy Pelosi in this regard. Let me be fair to Nancy Pelosi in this regard. I think I'm being fair. Oh, you, no, but let me offer one, a little okay. possible here. 
Nancy Pelosi was actually right on the trade boats. She she was a critic of NAFTA. She was a critic of some of these trade deals because because she actually had constituents who said to her, human rights violations of China are real. They, they need to be addressed. And Nancy Pelosi heard that, right? She heard messages about human rights back in the 1990s and the early 2000s. It was very, very important that she did. In fact, that's frankly one of the reasons why she rose in the esteem of many people, people in the Democratic Party. How can she not hear the call for human rights today? How can she not hear the sincere expression of horror at what is happening in Gaza and the fact that human rights activists uh, with Amnesty International, with Human Rights Watch, um, now you know folks who are at the, the the courts in The Hague, literally stepping up and saying something very wrong, fundamentally wrong is happening here. It needs to stop. How can she not hear that? Or if she hears that, right? If she hears that, even if she disagrees, how can she dismiss it so casually as something? that is foreign, is something that is you know, somehow disconnected from America. This is not disconnected from America. This is hardwired into America. The best of America believes in human rights. The best of America believes that if you see something that is wrong, that is being done in our name, you ask that it change, that you ask that it stop. That's what abolitionists did. That's mm-hmm. what tough that's what anti-war activists in during World War One, and again during the, the Vietnam War, and again at the time of the Iraq War. That's what has been done throughout our history. These people are not are not evil for doing this. They're they're calling America to be better. They're calling America to be itself. You go to the Statuary Hall in the Capitol. You look at some of those statues there. Who's standing up for those states? Robert M. LaFollette. What was LaFollette's profile and courage? He opposed World War One because it was a war that enriched the arms merchants and sent poor people off to die in, you know, Flanders Field. Um, the, the fact of the matter is that that many of the people we eventually hold up as heroes, LaFollette, Martin Luther King Jr., Bayard Rustin, mm-hmm. many of the people eventually hold up as heroes are the people who were accused in their lifetime of being in the service of other countries. But the other piece is this, John. When you go through the Capitol, many, if not most, of the statues are of Confederate heroes. Too many. Hardwired yeah. into hard, many, if not most. That was something that my brother, when he was in Congress, saw. That's why he lobbied. He's the one who pushed for and initiated, and that was his legacy, to have a statue of Rosa Parks and Statuary Hall and make it the biggest statue okay. in Statuary Hall because when you go into Statuary Hall, you have a bust of Dr. King, not a statue. That having right. been said, hardwired into America is also right-wing politics. We started as slaveholders. I mean, I'm, wait a minute, and this is not, and this is, a, this is loving critique because I also know that the other part is we're abolitionists. But we started off as slaveholders. You know, we mm-hmm. don't believe women should vote. That's how we start. Hardwired into America is our right-wing politics. And I'm saying we've got to be very careful because power mm-hmm. goes in that direction. And so when I hear a Nancy Pelosi, who's done some great things, I don't need to have that caveat. But when she's wrong mm-hmm. about this, 
and wrong. I mean, so wrong that this resonates with with the worst of America, with the America that took out Dr. King. Dr. King didn't just die. He was murdered on the balcony. Uh-huh. One year to the day, to the minute that he said he was going to oppose the military industrial complex. Blown away. Medicare uh-huh. was blown away. Malcolm X was blown away. John Brown was lynched. Uh-huh. This is what we do, too. And you have to call people out when they're wrong. This is wrong. And she is lifting up the worst part, the worst aspect of us, John. And then she hasn't learned anything. She shouts, oh, go back to China where your headquarters are. I'm like, sweetie, that's where your debt is. Hello? What are you talking about? And and it comes at such a... Look, let me say one other thing here, too. This is very politics, because I often come on and talk about politics. This is very bad for Joe Biden. And Joe Biden's wrong on these issues, and, and but I think there's some evidence that that uh, he may be trying to move. Um, some evidence that Blinken and others are trying to get to a new ceasefire, and, and maybe at least some some progress there. I'm not making excuses for him. I'm just saying that, that sure. there's some nuance. So, but Joe Biden's here in this place. He's also running for re-election for president of the United States, and he has a huge portion of his party that is very upset with him on the issue of Gaza. But. Um, up to a certain point, you can say, well, that's an honest disagreement. These people are in, they have different views. They're, he may be wrong, but, but he may be coming from a place that, that's rooted in his past experience, et cetera, whatever. But when Pelosi comes and then says, oh, these people are dupes, or these people are in the, doing Putin's business, when she put, inserts that into the discourse, she drives a deeper wedge between Joe Biden and Democrats, and those Democrats who are upset about mm-hmm. these issues. And, and you know what, and John, particularly because it is Nancy Pelosi, and maybe yeah. I'm upset because I expect so much more from her. And mind uh-huh. you, everybody can make a misstep, everybody can make a mistake, and I give her the space for that. And she can also really believe what she says. I give her space for that, too. I just disagree with it. And I'm trying to connect it to a history that has killed all these people that we honor now. All these people who we say, oh, you know, Dr. King was right. Dr. King was right because Dr. King is dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When he was alive, yeah, he was wrong. It, well, boy, was he. And, and boy, did he take the hits in those last years of his life. And so yeah. did, so did uh, Baird Rustin. So did uh, A. Philip Randolph. I mean, they were they they have gotten much more honor, you know, after their passing than they got when they were when they were doing the work. Because when they were doing the work. They were upsetting those in power. And, you know, look, we have a constitution in this country that, that offers us the right to uh, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion. It also offers us the right to assemble and to petition for the redress of grievances, i.e. to protest, right? In this country, we are supposed to be able to protest because at our best as a country, not at our worst, mind you, but at our best, we believe that out of that protest may come progress, Right. There may come a recognition that we are moving in a direction that is different than what the powerful want, that, that moves us towards some form of justice. Right? The protest does it. It's not the powerful that do it. They don't they wake up some morning and say, oh, gosh, I've been wrong. I better do the right thing. They are moved that way, people who protest. When you smear people who protest, when you call them you know, servants of some other ideology or some foreign power, when you say they are dupes, when you say they are somehow not to be listened to because something about them is wrong, right? When you do that, 
when you don't engage with them on an honest plane and a place where you have real debate, real, you know, hearing and listening and engagement, when you simply try to smear and shut them down, right, you go against the basic premises of what is best about the American experiment. Not what is worst, but what is best. And Nancy Pelosi, and you know, I'm sorry, you, she knows that. She knows that full well. And she knows that when you point this accusatory finger at those who are trying sincerely to change our policy as regards Gaza, when you do that, she knows that that is an effort to shut them down, to silence them, to make them marginalized, to make them the other. That is such a damaging thing to do. It is a damaging thing to do in our broader discourse. And again, I will tell you, it is a damaging thing to do within the Democratic Party because it drives people further away from Joe Biden. And I heard in the look in my piece that I wrote for the nation, I have quotes from uh, Muslim American leaders and from from uh, Democrats, Democrats who are saying, you know, look, this is this is untenable. This is not something we can we can live with. And that's very, very damaging. And Pelosi ought to know the damage that she's done. Does she do well, you think I she knows? Just, oh, do well, I? Well, I'd be curious to know what kind of tax breaks she got on that vineyard she, she's on. And is that considered communist? You know what, Mark? That we've got uh, socialism for the rich and uh, rugged individualism for the poor. Well, how that works, ain't it? Uh-huh. It is how it works. That it's an it's an awful thing. I expect more from her, and um, she needs to have a rethink, at least a political rethink, and and apologize. It needs to happen, uh-huh. you know, because this was Dr. King was smeared this way, Bayard Rustin, everyone who's been a progressive, you get smeared uh-huh. that way. Uh-huh. Again, I say, if I support slavery, I'm a capitalist. If I support my freedom, then you must be you must want to be with Russia. Are you for real? If I want to break up Jim Crow, I must be subject to Russian influence. Are you what? Do you know what you're saying? That means you're not standing for freedom in America. That means you're not standing for liberty in America. Not just for me, but for everybody. No, that's wrong. And you need Uh to call that ideology out for what it is. I don't care who espouses it. Love you, John Nichols. Huh. Love you. Oh, Important boy. conversation. Important, Important conversation. Converse. I know John is running, but stay with me for a few minutes. With I've got Dwight here. I think I still have Reverend Dr. Yuri and Pastor Chauncey Brown. Going to talk with them for just a few more minutes. Since we're on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Hello, everybody. So let's just talk for a few more minutes about what we talked about today. Call your alder in Chicago so we can get this ceasefire resolution pushed on through. Love you, everybody. God bless you. See you tomorrow on the Santita Jackson Show.